Pastor Nicholas already mentioned during the worship today the revival that has broken out at Asbury University. If you have not uh, seen any of that, I encourage you after church today, Google that, uh, go to Facebook, just type it in the search, and you will see about 60 students gathered together for their regular chapel service this past Wednesday morning. Uh, and that chapel service is still going on right now with bigger crowds, way bigger crowds than the original 60. I have some pastor friends in Lexington that uh, were there last night that were just live streaming what was going on and it was amazing. Uh, the Hughes Memorial Auditorium, if you've ever seen it, it's a large auditorium. The entire floor was filled, the entire balcony all the way around the room was filled and it was standing room only in there and students just pouring out their heart and worship to God. No special evangelist came, no special worship team, just pure, and no special production effects either, just pure, unadulterated worship to God. Listen, He does inhabit the praises of His people. He does. And I believe that God can do that kind of thing right here in Corbin. As a matter of fact, I heard, I read that Ohio Christian University was experiencing a revival since that one of similar uh, sorts. Uh, and uh, uh, Bishop Tim Hill, our general overseer, had a post on Facebook. He talked about how two weeks ago when Angie and I were in our conference in Orlando. Uh, by, by the way, pray for her this morning. She was worshiping at 8.45 at 11 a.m. She's filling in for a vacancy for NPK. AKA nursery, preschool, kindergartners. Pray for her this morning. I'm going home to take a nap after this is over. I, she'll probably need to wind down. But anyway, um, while we were in that conference in Orlando, uh, we were trying to stick to our schedule and, and the next speaker and the diff different things that were going on. And our general overseer got up and he just felt led to obey the Lord. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit took over that room of pastors ministered to hearts. It was amazing. Church, God wants to send revival. He doesn't just want to send it to Asbury University. I'm thankful that it's going on there. But I believe God wants to send it to Union College and University of the Cumberlands and Corbin, Kentucky and all the churches. It doesn't just have to hit Freedom Point. It can hit Good Hope and 17th Street Christian and all the way down Main Street. I believe God wants to send revival. And the question is, how hungry are we for revival? I don't know about you, but I'm hungry, and I want to see it. Amen. I'm hungry, and I want to see it. If you will, stand with us all over the room this morning. I know some of y'all are thinking it's 1154, and he ain't started yet. That's okay. We'll get through it. Amen. God has a word for us today. Exodus chapter 18, going to be reading verses 13 through 20 in the New Living Translation. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to Him. Teach them God's decrees and give them His instructions. Show them 
Show them. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, show them. Show them how to conduct their lives. Folks, can I tell you this morning that people will look at how you act far more than they'll listen to what you say. God's calling us to show them. If you will, pray with me and for me this morning. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people. I ask you to remove the, every hindrance that would come against this service today. Lord, help me to deliver this message with clarity, Lord, in the next 15 minutes. Uh, God, I believe you can speak to hearts and change lives today. We'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I'm preaching to you today the second sermon in a series we've titled, I Serve. And today we're going to be talking about passionate servants, passionate servants. And throughout the month of February, we're going to be talking about servanthood. Servanthood was extremely vitally important to Jesus. If it had not been, the scripture would not have said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If it had not been vitally important to Jesus, he would have never, on the night of the Last Supper, he would have never taken a basin and a towel and knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. He served them that night. Serving is vitally important to your walk with Christ. And as we look at examples, I believe that Moses was one of the best models in the Old Testament of a passionate servant through whom God implemented many great things. Moses lived out his calling to fulfill and to meet the needs of other people. And whenever God implements great vision, God uses passionate servants to fulfill what God has promised through that vision. And all throughout the Old Testament, Moses was one who exemplified what being a passionate servant is all about. Moses had this huge opportunity, if you will. He had this great task of liberating a disgruntled group of people out of a place of problems into a place of promise. You and I have been given the same task today. We are supposed to be delivering people out of a place of problems into a place of promise. Is anybody in the room this morning thankful you're in the place of promise? Moses had this huge task of delivering people out of Egypt into the promised land. But Moses realized he could not do it all by himself. As I said last week, Angie and I sat in that conference and we realized that if it was not for the amazing team of leadership and the amazing team of volunteers that we have at this church, Freedom Point would not be the church that it is today. But thank God for those of you that serve. Pat yourself on the back and say amen. So Moses had this huge task of leading people to the promised land, but he couldn't do it by himself. And listen, even though Moses lacked courage, he had low self-esteem. Do I have any low self-esteemers in the house this morning? Uh-huh. And he had a speech impediment. He wasn't a very good speaker. God would use him and give him confidence in God that would radically change his life. Moses realized, listen, this is so good this morning, that God could use his issues as an awesome instrument of greater acts of service. Is there anybody in the room this morning besides your pastor that is thankful that God can use people who have issues? Now, if there are any, or if there are any of you in this room this morning who think you don't have issues... That in and of itself is an issue. We all have issues. 
Every one of the 12 disciples had issues. We did a study on that. And it was amazing what we learned. But the radical transformation that took place in Moses' life, it happened at a story most of you all know about. The story of the burning bush. Jordan, if you'll put that scripture up on the screen, I'll read it this morning. The story of the burning bush is found in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. And though uh, this is amazing, Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. And he said, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Anybody ever done that before? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I'll be with you. And this is your sign. That I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt. Guess what? God already told him, you're going to bring them out. Not if, but when you've brought them out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Listen to your pastor this morning. Moses said, I don't know who to tell him sent me. You know what God said? Tell him I am who I am. Sometimes you can't understand why God does certain things or the way that God does certain things. As a matter of fact, the word tells us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But don't you ever forget that no matter what your situation may be, no matter what your circumstances may look like, God is still God. He is who he is. He is still on the throne. And it was here that Moses received encouragement and empowerment 
Pastor, why is it so important that we come to church? Why is it so important that we worship together uh, corporately as a body? I can worship at home. Yeah, maybe you can. But when you come together corporately as a body and you worship together, you receive empowerment and encouragement. Because, see, the Spirit of God sometimes hovers in this place. He was hovering last weekend. He was hovering at 845. His presence is here right now. But when you're in the presence, of God, it's in the presence of God where healings take place. Marriages are restored. Lives are changed. Bodies are healed. Souls are delivered in the presence of God. That's where we get our empowerment. And God used, thank God, God used Moses' issues as an instrument to live out God's greater purpose. And when Moses was encouraged, God used his shortcomings To live for this tremendous vision that God had placed before him. And it was through this passion that Moses was commissioned to serve. And it was in that moment at the burning bush that Moses was empowered to go forth with confidence in God. Realizing that God was with him. I want to ask you this morning, can you recall your burning bush experience? That time with God where you know God spoke to you. Where you know God called you out of that lifestyle you were living. Where you know God spoke to you and gave you direction over that situation in your life. That burning bush experience, can I tell you this morning, it only happens in the presence of God. It doesn't happen because we got good music. It doesn't happen because somebody's an eloquent speaker. It only happens when we get in the presence of God. Can you remember that moment when something was ignited on the inside of you to go forth and to live out the tremendous dreams that God had given you? In the 845 service, before I even preached, the Holy Spirit spoke to us this morning and He spoke to somebody specifically in that service about their calling. And the person that he spoke through had no idea what I was preaching today or what my passage was. But he spoke to them about, he didn't reference it as the burning bush experience, but he spoke to them about that experience of knowing that they were called. And that nobody, can I tell you this morning, if you are called, nobody can do your ministry for you. And if you are saved and born again, guess what? You're called. We all have a calling to do for God. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed when we think about all the things that God has for us in this church, in our families, in our workplace, in our homes. We can get overwhelmed, can't we? Anybody ever been overwhelmed? You just feel like, wow, I'm just overwhelmed. Overstimulated, right? Anybody ever feel that way? You know, that's the new modern word. There's all kinds of cop-outs in society today. That's one of them. I'm overstimulated. If I quit every time I got overstimulated, I'd have quit a long time ago. But can I tell you this morning that God gives provision through your passion. God gives provision through your passion to do what it is that God has given you to do for Him. And can I also tell you something this morning? The closer you get to your place of promise, the more your passion will be under attack. I said, the closer you get to your place of promise, the more your passion will be under attack. 
Two weeks ago at that conference, I heard a speaker I'd never heard before. He's in his late 50s, early 60s. His name, and I encourage you to look him up and listen to him. He is a Holy Spirit-filled congregational Methodist. His name is Benny Tate. He is an awesome, awesome preacher. Let me just share just a couple things that he shared with us from that conference that really stirred me. One of the first things was the church that he is at now, he has pastored for over 33 years. When he got there, there were 25 people in attendance at that church. That was it. He said, the first thing my wife and I did when I got to that church was clean all of the Christmas decorations out of the baptistry. God help us. They had decided to fill the baptistry with Christmas decorations because it was deep and it would hide everything and you wouldn't be able to see it. And nobody had been baptized in years. He said, the first thing that my wife and I did was clean the Christmas decorations out of the baptistry. When you talk about being a servant and setting the example of servanthood, he said, the next thing we did, he said, the church was nasty. Now, we're blessed around here that just about every single time you walk through those doors, this place is spit, shine, clean to worship in. Are you thankful for that this morning? We have some awesome custodians. And it always smells good. That's a challenge when everybody that comes through the doors don't always smell good. Some of y'all get that later. But anyway, they do a wonderful job and we appreciate them. But he said, the next thing that we did, my wife and I, he said, we cleaned the nasty church. It was nasty. He said, people came in for worship on Sunday morning and they was like, wow, something smells different in here. What is it? And he said, it's probably Murphy's Oil and Pine Saw. They cleaned the church. And he said, God began to work and move. He began to save people and they baptized people and the church began to fill up. And what I'm about to say was a really bold statement that he made, but it, it resonated with me and it still is. He said, we went to two services and the church was packed out both services. And in, in fact, in the second service, he said, the, lob, the, the foyer was full. The porch was full. They were leaving the doors open and people were standing on the steps of the porch to listen to the service. And he said, we were packed out to capacity. And they said, preacher, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to add another service. He said, I can't add another service. He said, I'm wore out. The team's wore out. We need to build a building. But some of those 25 people that were set in their ways, hello, said, no, 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 no. We're not in debt now. We're not going in debt around here. We're not going in debt. We don't want any debt. And he said, well, we're going to have to have a meeting about this. They had a council meeting. They sat down and in the meeting he said, guys, we need to talk about building a building. And they said, no, preacher, we ain't going to build a building. You're going to have to figure something else out. He said, okay. He said, if we can't build a building, I know what I'm going to do. They said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go out there and put on that marquee out front. I'm going I'm to put on it what I want it to say. They said, what do you want it to say? He said, it already says Rock Springs Methodist Church. I want to put on the marquee. You can go to hell because we're full. Ooh. He said, it got so quiet in that room you could hear a pin drop. And one of those men went... <clears throat> Pastor, I, th I think we need to talk about building a building. So started out with 25 people because he was willing to serve and willing to follow the dream. And here's what really encouraged me. He said, from that point for these 33 years, he said, don't ever doubt that God has fought me every single step of the way. And I don't know why it seems to always be that way, but it is. 
that things will go wonderful and God will do great things. And then all of a sudden, the devil likes to rear his ugly head. Anybody else ever experienced that? He said every step of the way, he said there would always be somebody or something that would fight me. You know why? The closer you get to your place of promise, the more your passion will be under attack. Are you with me this morning? And I love what he said because fast forward to 33 years later, and he didn't tell us this. The person who gave his introduction told us this. But 33 years later, they have four campuses. They're one service at each campus except the main campus has three services on Sunday. And the Sunday before he spoke to us, that church of 25 people that he took 33 years ago had 7,283 people in total attendance. Because why? Because he was willing to serve with a servant's heart and follow with passion the calling that God had placed on his life. And somebody said to him, Benny, why did you stay when people wanted you to leave? He said, I'll tell you why. I looked at, and I love this. This is bold again, but I loved it. Actually, it's a new one I might use because here's the deal. I have, I've, I've had state leaders talk to me. I have no desire to be a state youth director somewhere. I have no desire to be a state overseer somewhere. They've not mentioned that yet, but normally that's the path. You become youth director and then on the state overseer. I have no interest in that. I have no interest in them looking for me a bigger, better church somewhere else. I have no interest in that. I want to pastor the church that God put a vision within me to birth and see it through until my day that God says He's done with me here. But I want to see, are you looking for 7,000 people? I don't have a number in my head. I just know I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. And so they said, preacher, why did you stay when people wanted you to leave? This is the part I love. He said, because I looked at people and told them, it's easier for you to move your membership than it is for me to move my furniture. Amen. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? So if anybody wants me to leave, moving right along. I'm going to share five things with you and we're going to open this altar. But if you want, if you want to be like Moses and move forward with the passion, with passion, with the calling that God has given you to do. I'm revisiting something that we talked about a couple, three years ago in this church where we talked about putting the kingdom of God first. We called it kingdom first. We still lift kingdom first offerings because I believe that you need to put the kingdom of God first in your life. Can I tell you the divine order of the home is your relationship with God first then your relationship with your family, then your relationship with your church and your calling. Did you know that's the way that it works? That's the divine order of the home. But when you put God's kingdom first, that's God number one, when you put Him first. And I'm just going to throw this out there, and I don't want anybody upset at me, but here it is. When you, listen parents, when you get to heaven and stand before the Lord, He's not going to ask you or ask your children what their GPA was. He's not going to ask them what their batting average was. How many touchdowns they scored. How many shot assists they had. What their RBI was. He's not going to ask them any of that. But what he is interested in is what is their personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. None of those things are wrong. And I love all of them. But put the kingdom of God first in your home. 
Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Don't shoot the messenger. That's the word of God. But if we're going to put the kingdom first, there's going to be great opportunities. Five things. How do we keep our passion? Number one, you've got to separate from negativity. Separate from negativity. Verse 13 again, look at it. The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. Moses was spending all of his time and energy listening to negative people. I want to tell you something. Negativity can distract us from our God purpose. And it can deplete and diminish our passion. Have you ever noticed how strong negativity can be in our lives? Sometimes somebody else can talk you into a negative state when you weren't in a negative state to start with. When people come to you with negativity, turn it off. Put it out. Do like I do. Walk out of your office and say, i got to use the restroom. Get away from it. Put the negativity out of your life. I, I ain't got time for nobody to drain my passion. i got a work to do for Jesus. I ain't got time for the negativity. But also, do you know what? Sometimes... It doesn't just come from other people. Sometimes it's our own negativity. Sometimes you can be negative yourself. What's the word say? The power of life and death is in the tongue. Sometimes you speak it yourself. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37 said, The words you say, Jesus said this, will either acquit you or condemn you. Matthew 12 and 37, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Negativity can pollute your spirit and stagnate your momentum. You've got to get away from negativity. What did the word say? Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good, good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Get rid of the negativity. Secondly, after you separate yourself from negativity, you need to surround yourself with wisdom. Don't just surround yourself with people who talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Listen, if I'm going to pastor this church, I'm going to tell you something. I think I've already said it once. If it wasn't 845, I might have said it in this service. People will pay more attention to how you act and live than they will as to what you say. Surround yourself with people that are full of wisdom. And Moses did that. And the interesting thing about this is, is did you know that Jethro, his father-in-law, did not even have a relationship with the Lord until he became acquainted with Moses? Moses was the one that led him to the Lord, but in this passage of Scripture, we find that Jethro was the one that imparted wisdom to Moses. Can I tell you, don't ever underestimate who God might use to speak into your life. Don't ever think that you've got it figured out. Godly wisdom, here's the deal, godly wisdom, listen to me elders, is when people can share with you the things that they did wrong in, in order to help you do things right. That's godly wisdom. It won't work when you just say, oh, no, 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 you're going about that all wrong. Listen, folks, that'll never work. But when you can tell people, you don't want to do that, and here's why. I made that mistake one time. And I shared this with leaders in the church. If they're working in any type of leadership role, I've shared it at staff retreat. I've shared it in classes. I've shared it in membership classes uh, to people because I know people are going to be coming up and working in leadership roles. I'm not proud of it, but early, early on in my ministry, about 20, 
six, 17, about 17 years ago, I had mishandled a situation as a leader in the church. I had a mouthy high school girl come at me. Anybody ever experienced that? Some of y'all raising them. Some of y'all raising them, that's all I'm saying. She came at me. Well, I've learned how to receive being come at a little better than I had 17 years ago. And I just let her have it with both barrels. That didn't work very good for mom and dad. Didn't work very good for me. Didn't work very good for the church. And I learned from that experience. And so now I can look at leaders and say, I get your frustration. I know what you want to say, but, but, but please don't. Because you'll only hurt yourself in the end. Hold your tongue, pray about it, and watch God fight the battle. That's the best way that it's done. Godly wisdom is when people can share things with you that they've done wrong in their lives so that you can do right. Jethro could see what Moses couldn't see, and he spoke into Moses. Thirdly, after you surround yourself with wisdom, you've got to learn to serve out of your strengths. Whenever God brings about big missions, it's so easy to get distracted to other areas of interest. But you've got to learn to serve where God has called you to serve. You've got to learn to serve out of your strengths. Listen, if you're not a gifted singer, I said this at 8.45 and somebody turned around and looked at somebody behind them. If you're not a gifted singer, do us all a favor and don't sign up for the worship team on Serve Sunday. Can I get a witness? Somebody said, Pastor, he said to make a joyful noise. He did, and you can be joyful from your seat. If you're not a gifted singer. Why do you say that? We need to serve out of our areas of strength. Because what God has called you to do might be something that gifted singers could never do. And can I also, while I'm on that, why do you use them for example? Here's why. Can I tell you in those kind of positions, there's a lot of praise and a lot of credit given, right? But God blesses service even greater, the service that's done in secret. The things that need to be done that maybe nobody else wants to do or that's done in private and nobody else really sees and nobody gives you praise, I firmly believe those jobs are going to be the jobs when you get to heaven, you're going to have the most jewels in your crown. Learn to serve the Lord with gladness where God has gifted you. Serve out of your strengths. In order to be a passionate servant, you've got to serve out of your God-given strengths rather than other people's expectations. Anybody in here besides me struggle with being a people pleaser? You like people to like you. It's almost insane to be a preacher and be the kind of person that wants everybody to like you. Do you realize how almost impossible that is? But it is. But you cannot serve God. As a matter of fact, one of the core values of this church is, is pleasing God over pleasing man. You can't serve God trying to please people. You've got to serve God doing what God's given you to do. Paul reminded us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, why why do we serve out of our areas of strength? I love what he said here. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power 
is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Serve the Lord out of your strengths and trust Him to do the work through you. As they come to the music this afternoon. Here at Freedom Point Church, listen. When this church was planted, almost 10 years ago, it'll be 10 years in July. It was named out of much prayer, Freedom Point Church. It's to be the place, the point of freedom in people's lives. The Lord spoke to us about three things. Those three things were that you would be free to love. Because you can't love like Jesus until you get freed. Free to serve. Because if Jesus found serving important enough to do it as himself as an example, then we got to serve. Listen, folks, it is, I'm sorry, it is not enough to just come to church and worship on Sundays. That's not enough. Sister Karen said when she opened the service, the sign said when she was leaving the parking lot, you are now entering your mission field. This is the place that we come to get fueled up and fired up and that passion reignited so that when we leave these four walls, we can serve and do the work that God has given us to do. That's the only way we'll win people for the kingdom. Free to serve and free to worship. Listen, it's taken about 10 years, but I'm starting to see that freedom to worship come to fruition. Anybody else glad that you find yourself in a church that's just open to the Spirit of God and the freedom of worship in the house? I'm so thankful. But we believe totally here at this church in operating in and living in and doing ministry out of our strengths. And listen to me, if you are saved, you are called to serve. All of us, if you're saved, you're all called to serve. Maybe you're wondering what it is that God wants you to do. But when you understand your strengths, you no longer question whether or not what you should do or shouldn't do. You realize you surrender everything to God. Say, God, I I give this to you. I do this for your glory. You know why they're having revival at Asbury? Because nobody was doing it for their glory. God, we're doing this for your glory. Folks, there is a great demand, a huge, a vast demand. I can't even think of a better word to describe it in accomplishing the vision of this church and this city. But there's also a great demand for your workplace, for your home, for your family. Anybody got lost family members you need to see saved? Anybody? Yeah, look at that. It's a great demand, but don't get overwhelmed. God has strategically placed you where you are. God knew that on February the 12th, 2023 at 1226 p.m., you were going to be seated at Freedom Point Church, and you were going to hear a message on servanthood. God knew that. So you're not here this morning saying, well, he just... Bless God, I didn't get my word today. No. You're getting your word today. 
God's calling you to serve. You know what? You can't do my calling for me. I can't do your calling for you. You are called to serve. But you have to surrender. And when we surrender, God will take that small sacrifice and He'll do with it just like what He's doing with it at Asbury University this morning. He'll fill the place with capacity, with people that are hungry and thirsty for an authentic, see that's it right there, (laughs) an authentic encounter with God. Got too many places that know how to put on a good production. Got too many churches that know how to do all, all of the right things to make people feel good. But it's not about feeling good. It's about an authentic, personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Screens and lights and productions will not change your life. But an authentic encounter with God will change your life forever. There's nothing wrong with screens and lights and atmosphere and all that. But there is something wrong if we miss our encounter with So I want to ask everybody in this room to stand all over this house with me this morning. Possibly you're here in a crowd this size. I'm sure there's somebody here that you are not where you need to be with God today. I want to ask you, whatever you do, do not leave this place today. Salvation is the easiest thing you'll ever experience in your life. It's like a gift at Christmas. You open it up and you get what's inside. All you got to do is open the gift and receive it. If you, the Bible said if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So whatever you do, don't leave this place without Jesus today. I believe there's a room full of people here right now that will testify with me to you. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Don't leave here without Him. But for the rest of us, I'll leave you with this and open this altar. God doesn't want you to watch Him use somebody else. Did you hear me? God doesn't want you to watch Him use somebody else. God wants to use you. The question is, will you surrender today and say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I want to do it for your kingdom. I want to serve.